I want us to turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. And verse 13 will be the text that we'll be opening up today. Psalm 22 and verse 13. They gape upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. Yeah, isn't that right? In our present uh, verse, we can see something of the fierceness of some of the crowd that is before our Lord Jesus. In other words, his enemies that are out there, they are mad, they are furious, and they have a lot of wrath that they are venting uh, towards him. So in examining this passage is what we just read. I want us to, first of all, notice that these words, once again, are addressed by our Lord Jesus. These words, as, as verse 13, as well as the whole of this psalm, every single word here is actually spoken by the Lord Jesus. So it's the whole of the psalm. So it's the Lord Jesus here, who is, of course, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And these are, words are spoken in the midst of his terrible agonies that he is suffering because of the cross itself. And as we know as well, He's upon that cross in order to atone for the sins of his people. All that he is suffering is not because of his own sin, because he had none, but it's because of our sins, our sins being laid to, uh, upon him. So again, it's not for anything that he has done. Uh, it was, he was crucified, obviously, though, because they perceived him to be a wicked man. The second thing I want us to notice from this text is that his words are the words as he is looking upon the crowd that is before him. As we have discussed before, there's rather a large crowd that is gathered around to see or to uh, ex uh, not examine, but to watch the crucifixion. No doubt there are some there who sympathize with our Lord Jesus because we know that uh, Mary, his mother, was there. Uh, he had his disciple John who was still there. And we had those who would serve him, who had served him earlier, and, of course, those who had loved him and who were devoted to him. Others were there, obviously, to see that the deed was done. The soldiers, they were there because they were carrying out the orders of Pilate, so they were simply doing their duty. The religious leaders were present to see that Pilate's orders as well were carried out. There were those also out there who were just there out of pure hatred. And of course, that would include the religious crowd there as well. They wanted to see our Lord Jesus to suffer. And they considered him, you remember, to be a very vile man. They considered him to be a, uh, a blasphemer because he had claimed to be the Son of God. And of course, that was in their ears that... They were equating that he was God, which, of course, that's true. And, of course, they saw that to be wrong and, of course, blasphemous. And so they're viewing him as someone, then, who was worthy to die. But also they're there, not only because of those things, but probably out of revenge. They wanted to see the Lord Jesus to get his, as we would say. Because, you remember, he had condemned their hypocrisy. He had exposed them for what they truly were. You remember he uncovered their lies and their deceit and their ministries that they had and how that they had perverted 
the law of God. So he's he has in his ministry those three years went through there and he's he spoke these things against them. And he made them look like fools at every turn. No matter not what they said, what they did, he turned it against them because, of course, they were the ones who were the, the wicked people. You remember in Matthew chapter 23 when he denounces the woes upon the Pharisees and the scribes because of their hypocrisy. He revealed that they were covetous, that they were blind guides, they were fools, that they were full of iniquity. And now then, they're out there in the crowd and they're waiting for their revenge to take place. They are present and he, our Lord, is suffering because of their hatred towards him. And in his great suffering, though, he sees this. He sees those people. He knows what is in their heart. He knows what they're thinking. Remember, John recorded for us, he says, Because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So as our Lord is hanging there, he could look out at the crowds, and because of who he is, he knew what they were thinking. He knew the things that were going through their thought. He knew their hatred that was building up and had been there that was upon him. And then two, he could see the contempt that they had for him. And they would have been, he'd, he'd have, he would have seen their body language that would have been speaking against him. For instance, in verse 7, you remember, he says, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. So they're going by or they're standing there and they're seeing him suffering and they just, you know, they're, they're, they're thinking he's such a, a wicked fellow. And he deserves this. He hears them as well. They're saying terrible things about him up there upon the cross. And then you remember last week we looked at the fact that he views his enemies there as bulls. Look at the verse again, verse 12. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. Now, as we discussed, these weren't literal bulls out there. These were He was using these animals to describe something of the nature of these uh, his enemies that are out there, that they were full of rage, that they were full of fury against him. And as such, then they were compared like bulls in such a case like that. And now in verse 13... He further gives a description of them. He says, They gape upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. So the third thing I want us to notice, though he knows what's in their hearts, he sees them and he hears them, the amazing thing is here, he doesn't speak to them, but he's speaking about them. And you heard that saying before, you're, someone, you're talking about somebody and they hear, maybe overhear it and they say, what did you say? And you say, well, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking about you. Well, this is the sense in which our Lord is using it here. 
when he says these words in verse 13, he's not speaking this to the crowd that is before him. In reality, he's speaking this to God. He's speaking this to his Father. So these words are not directed towards them. They're directed towards his heavenly Father. It's part of his complaint to his God of his sufferings that are brought about because of his enemies. In fact, if you look at verse 11, it's part of his plea for help. He says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. And then he goes into the description further of them in verses 12 and 13. So this is part of his plea to God that he needs help. It's also, as we've spoke about before, it's part of his arguments as to why God should hear him and help him. So he's putting forth these arguments to God in his prayer, saying, I need help, and here's why you should help me, because they are like bulls out there in their fury against me, and they gape upon me, and so forth. Then the fourth thing is that I want to open up the text itself. We've kind of looked at the context now. We want to look, examine the, the words that are found here in verse 13. Now, as I mentioned in verse 12, our Lord compares His enemies there as, as bulls. In their hatred and in their uh, wrath against Him, He says that they're like raging bulls. They're out there just, just you know, ready to destroy, ready to fight. And now he continues this description of them, but he changes the simile here, doesn't he? You know, in verse 12, he speaks of them as bulls. But in verse 13, he compares them to something else. We see here in verse 12 as well, they've compassed him. That is, they set around him. Uh, he says here as well that they beset me. And that carries this, the idea that they're surrounding, but also has the idea that not only were they just merely surrounding and kind of watching him, but they were there as if to assail him, as to attack him. That's what it means there to be set. Not just being around, but being around in order to get to him. Of course, they really weren't. But again, this is the figurative language that our Lord is using here towards him. If they could have, they would. But I'm sure the soldiers would have held them off for that very thing. But it's like they were closing in for the kill. In verse 13, as I said, he changes his assembly to speak of them. And again, he's speaking here regarding his enemies. And he now describes them as a lion. A lion. Remember, we spoke how their Lord Jesus uses several animals in this psalm as he speaks. He, remember, he compared himself to a worm. Uh, verse 12 are the bulls. Verse 13 are the lions. And he's going to mention the lion again. So that, that's two times. And then he uses the term dog. And then he uses, lastly, the unicorn. All of these are not real animals that he's dealing with or speaking about or seeing but he's using them in a way to give us a description of something that is before him. <coughs> and here, as we said in verse 13, he's a lion. Now, what's he trying to show 
when he says this, just as with the bulls, it was to show forth something of their rage. What is it when he speaks here about a lion? Well, one of the things we, we can realize several things when we think of the idea of a lion. One, of course, is its power. A lion is a very strong animal. It has lots of strength. And in that strength, that's where his fierceness is. Often as a beast, we think of a lion, we think of him as someone who, or something that's hungry, ready to devour a prey, so to speak. And we can see that in the word where he uses the word, uh, I want to try to get this right, ravening, yeah. Actually, just a little side note here. I did my homework on this. We, I was trying to figure out how do you say that word ravening or is it ravening? And so I went to the internet, which of course is the source of all truth. And I went there and of course I found conflicting ways of saying it. It can be pronounced ravening or it can be pronounced ravening. So I asked my wife and she told me it was ravening. So I'm going to go by that because that's probably the way you would say it. But I did hear both. Alexander... I can't even say his last name. Uh, Scrobe says the word ravening. So we're going to go with that. But that's what the idea of ravening here means. Something that's kind of, they're, they're wild with hunger and they tear into their prey. They're ripping it to pieces, tearing it apart wildly. And that's kind of a trait of a lion. Gets his prey. <coughs> And he just sits there and tears it up. I mean, he doesn't have a fork and knife, does he? He has to use his teeth and his claws. Another uh, trait uh, of a lion that comes to mind is, of course, their roar. Their roar. It's very loud and it's very powerful. Before we moved into our present house, we used to live... uh, Uh, closer to the zoo here in the city. And sometimes at night, you could hear the lion's roar. That's how loud it was. Now, I don't recall hearing other animals at our house if we were standing outside, but you could hear the lion's roar. Why? Because there's that's something that is distinctive about the lion. He's very loud. In fact, they say you can hear a lion up to five miles away. That's quite a distance. Now, his roar is a symbol of his greatness, something of his power, something of his dominion. You remember, he's often called the king of the jungle. I don't know why, because he doesn't live in a jungle. He actually lives out in the fields. He's not really in the jungle as part of his habitat. But something about this, though, describes uh, something of his ferociousness, something of his, his power. And not only that, another thing we think about a lion is that they have a tremendous appetite. They eat, they say, not the lions, but people who study lions, they eat about 18 pounds of meat a day. That's about 70 hamburgers according to one source I was reading after. A male lion, as far as how big they are, you take a male lion, that's the guy with the lots of the mane on him, he can stretch up to be about 10 feet long. That's, a, that's quite, a, quite, a, quite a size. 
and he can weigh in at about 400 to 500 pounds. So you can see why they eat a lot. They're big creatures. They may not look that big, but they are really big animals. And a thing about a lion, and you notice here he says here, a roaring lion. One of the things about his roar is that after he gets his prey and he's killed it, he begins to roar. And the reason for that, they say, is in order to like claim their territory. This is his meat. This is his kill. And so he roars that, showing, I guess, to the other animals or to the other lions that that's his. He's killed it and he's claiming it. So hence then, as we think about it, this is quite an example of power and something of the hungry nature of these wicked men. That they're out to kill him. They, they want him dead. And our Lord here compares those men in the crowd as hungry lions who've, who've killed their prey, tearing him apart. And they've got him there on the cross and now they're roaring like a lion. You see, they've got their prey. They're claiming it. Now, the first part of our passage speaks of an open mouth. He says, they gape upon me with their mouths. Now, the word gape means open. So their mouths are wide open. And of course, this too is used in a figurative sense regarding his enemies. Gaping here is regarding their mouths as they're, like if you were ready, open to eat something. Like a lion is going to eat. He would open his mouth very widely. Or, in their case, in reality, it's speaking. Now, figuratively, it's probably a little bit of both. They were, not that they were literally biting him or putting the mouths on him, but as far as the idea of a lion and they were eating their prey, this would have some reality to this, to this point here, that they gape upon him with their mouths. But it probably more to the point, it's regarding his enemies as they're blaspheming him, as they're saying these cruel words towards him and about him. And this seems to go with the whole, I think, the whole figure of the verse itself. It's not that they were literally biting him, but they were speaking against him. And as you search out the scriptures and some places where it talks about the idea of their mouths being open, it's spoken in the sense of that being used to speak of being talked about, <coughs> persecuted. You remember Job in Job 16 verse 10 says, They have gaped upon me with their mouths. They have smitten me upon the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves together against me. Lamentation 2, verse 16. All thine enemies have opened their mouth against thee. They hiss and gnash the teeth. They say, we have swallowed her up. Certainly this is the day that we looked for. We have found and we have seen it. Again, Lamentations 3, verse 46. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. And then again, another 
likeness to that is found in Psalm 35, verse 21. Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eye have seen it. So this is probably in reference then to their words in which they're talking about. You know, we often hear that little rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, or the saying, but words can never hurt me. But we know that's not true. Our words do hurt, don't they? The things that people say to us or they say about us, they can hurt us and make us feel bad. And it's no different with our Lord. He had feelings as well. He had those emotions or affections that we possess. And thus, when they were saying these things against him, they counted. He felt them. They were cruel to him. Also, all this denotes something of their savagery. These are not nice guys here. They didn't hang our Lord Jesus on the cross because they loved him. They hung him upon the cross, hanged him upon the cross, because they hated him. They hated God. They didn't like him. It was also a part of their deceit and their actions towards him. Again, Psalm 17, verse 12 it says, like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, and as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. The idea there is they're deceitfully going about and trying to, you know, get you. And that's what they were doing to him. Psalm 10, verse 9. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. Again, the deceit, the secrecy of all of this. As you think again of them as a lion, it also puts them in company with the devil, doesn't it? Remember what 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, there's the phrase, a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So they were just like the devil in all of this. In fact, he as well had told them, you are of your father, the devil. So it's not a far stretch by comparing them as they are a roaring lion to Satan. Because that's how he said himself that's what they were like. Thomas Scott, the commentator, said this. He says, a helpless infant or a harmless lamb surrounded by furious bulls and hungry lions aptly represented the Savior encompassed by his insulting and bloody persecutors and in his extreme distress forsaken even by his disciples. But in the midst of this, what do we see? In the midst of this anguish, in the midst of this turmoil, the midst of his, his own creatures that he's created out there blaspheming and saying these cruel things to him, what does he do? He prays. 
Here in the midst of his lowest point, he's praying. He's offering up petitions before God. And that's a hint for us, don't you think? That in the midst of persecution or trials or hard times or sorrows that come upon us or pain, what should we do? Well, there's many things we can do. But one thing we ought to do is pray. You got troubles? Pray. Again, it's not the only thing to do, but certainly is an example here by our Lord Jesus. Remember, he's offering this prayer up for arguments to be heard as to reasons why he should be heard. He's informing God here what's going on, and yet God knows all of this, does he not? But yet our Lord Jesus repeats it back to him. And again, that's examples to us. But not only that, though, and this idea of praying, our Lord Jesus, you remember, prays with hope and he prays with confidence that God will hear him. He says, after all, you heard the fathers in the wilderness. You've been with me since I was conceived in the womb. As I've come out between my mother's knees, you have been with me. You've been by God from my mother's belly. So there is hope, he's saying here. Of course, we know the whole story, do we not? God does deliver him. God does help him. God does give him mercy and all of this. But he prays here with hope and confidence that he will be heard and will be delivered. But his enemies are before him. And they're still not done. There still is going to be more. And, and as we continue to look at this, he'll be more looking at what is happening to him as he is being crucified. So we'll stop there and uh, pray that God will bless that to us. And we'll hopefully, Lord willing, examine more next time. So may God bless that.